Please open with me to page 450 of your Bibles and follow with me as we read Psalm chapter 8. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us pray. Majestic God, we thank you for your work of creation. We look up at the night sky and stare at the heavens. We see the starry host and know that because of your great power, not one of them is missing. You have laid out the world like a tent for us to live in. In your common grace, you have given us life and you have provided for us all that we need. Father God, we thank you for the saving grace you've poured out on us in the gift of your Son. We know that despite our material needs, our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sins. As our good Father, you have, in your love, provided a way for us to have reconciliation with you. Who are we that you should be mindful of us, that you should care for us? We are your church the bride of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us, cleanse us by your word, that you may present us to your Son as a glorious church, without stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, the last several months I've been interning with Cody and he's been having me read books and write papers and take a course on biblical theology, on how to prepare an expositional sermon, um, all these good things. So this is the first time I really get to put a lot of that into practice. So it's going to be fun. You know, as I was preparing this this week, really the last several weeks, um, but coming in on these last couple days, I... I was kind of getting a little stressed out as I'm looking at this passage, as I'm jotting down notes, as I'm trying to see what God has for us in this passage. It was just really incredible how many things there are contained in God's Word, and specifically in this passage in Psalm 8. So as I prepared, I think my biggest struggle was to sit here and actually just compile that information in a 30-ish minute presentation for you guys so that we can all learn and benefit from this passage. So um, even just this morning as I was reviewing my notes, I was telling Rachel, I was like, oh, I could put this in here. Or, oh, but if I say that, then I have to say this too. So um, we'll see what the Lord has for us today, but I'm excited to get to share with you the study that I've been able to do on Psalm 8. 
So this psalm, our psalm today, Psalm 8, is a psalm of praise and a psalm of creation. The psalmist praises God's majestic name through his contemplation of God's glorious creation. In the title we see, To the Choir Master, according to the Gittith. We really don't actually know what this word Gittith means. Some say it refers to the Philistine city of Gath and might refer to a song that was sung there or a musical instrument from that region. But some others still look at uh, the Hebrew root word to mean a song of the winepress, a joyful hymn for the treaders of grapes. There are two other psalms with this word in their title, Psalm 81 and Psalm 84, both which, both of which are psalms of praise and psalms of delight. So I think we can probably conclude that uh, this that it refers to a hymn of delight. We also we don't really know all that much about this text's history. Uh, it can be a little bit difficult to know when this text was written, but we do know because of the title, A Psalm of David, that it was written by King David. And as king, David recognized what it meant to be the ruler of a kingdom, to have all things in subjection to him. David was king over a monarchy. Everything and everyone living in his kingdom were under his rule and his command. Now, us not having ever lived in a monarchy ourselves, we don't really understand, I don't think, what that was like. A subject in a monarchy would have understood that his life revolved around the king's wishes. The king could demand his land or livestock with just a word. If he wanted a new temple built, he would just sign you up to the work crew. David was in a place of extreme honor and power as king over Israel. But David recognizes that even though he was supreme ruler on earth of God's people, God was the one who had blessed him with this honor. And he recognized he was not the king who would rule forever over God's people. In the psalm, he talks about God's majesty contrasted with man's frailty and then praises God for his favor on man in giving him dominion over God's kingdom. David recognizes God's lordship over all and has the humility to see that there will arise another king after him who will bring the earth back into subjection under man just how God designed it from the beginning. I want to go ahead and read the whole psalm uh, again as we kind of get that context and I just think it's so important to see the whole passage in its whole So we have, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, 
the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's look at that first, this first verse. We see initially how David addresses this psalm. So who is he actually addressing it to? In our English Bibles, it can be a little bit confusing because we just see two words, Lord and Lord, translated as the same thing. But in Hebrew, we have two different words. The first word being Yahweh, the second word being Adonai. Yahweh is God's personal name. It's a proper noun, and it comes from the verb to be in Hebrew. We see this example when God first gives his name to Moses through the burning bush in Exodus three thirteen through 15. It states, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. John Piper stated that each time we read this word, it should remind us that God absolutely is. In this name is contained all the attributes of who God is. In fact, it's interesting to note the Jews actually revered this personal name of God so much that they considered it the unpronounceable name of God for fear of disobeying the third commandment of not taking the name of the Lord God in vain. One easy way to recognize it just for your own personal study is you see most likely in your Bibles the word, the first word Lord, each letter is capitalized. And whenever that is done in our scriptures, it's referring to Yahweh, the personal name of God. The second word Lord, Adonai, is a word meaning sovereign, master, or Lord. So David is essentially addressing his praise like so, O personal and relational Yahweh, our sovereign master and Lord. He's crying out to the personhood of God, using God's relational, personal name of the God who absolutely is, and recognizing God's place of lordship over us. We see this used in several other places in the scripture. A couple examples would be Psalm 110. In verse 1, uh, the psalmist says, The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, our master, our sovereign. Isaiah 51.22 also says, Thus says your Lord, your sovereign, the Lord, Yahweh. So after addressing the psalm to Yahweh, our Lord, he continues, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Majestic isn't a word that we use all that much in English, really, and I don't think we totally understand it in our culture. Um, sorry I'm doing all these word word things here, but I, I really enjoy it, looking at the definitions of words and where they come from. Um, in fact, uh, my wife always rolls her eyes at me when she hears a very common phrase that I say, which is, define what you mean by... Um, so, 
I always like to look at this. So the word majesty, if you looked it up in the dictionary, here here's some things you might hear. Greatness of appearance, dignity, grandeur, quality or state of a person or thing which inspires awe or reverence in the beholder. Also a title of emperors, kings and queens. There's glory inferred in this word majesty or majestic. You'll most often hear the word related to royalty. Your majesty being a very common way to address a king or queen. I believe David recognizes this glorious creation to be a part of the majesty of God's kingdom. If you were to travel through the lands of an earthly king, the more beautiful, the more expansive it is, would you not then ascribe even more glory and honor to that king? David knows this, and he knows that through all the earth, there is no name that is more majestic than the name of Yahweh, our sovereign Lord and Master. David continues uh, talking about the glory of God, and he says, You have set your glory above the heavens. Excuse me, grab my water. Has anybody here really ever studied the heavens and just how big they are? I know for me, sure, I've done a little bit, but I was just looking at some numbers <clears throat> at the heavens. So um, here, here are a couple things. We're familiar with the term light year, I would assume, meaning how far light travels in a year. Well, light travels at a speed of... 186,282 miles per second. Miles per hour was way too big of a number for me to pronounce. So trying to calculate just how many miles light travels in a year was way too much. So we're going to break it down a little differently. An astronomical unit is the distance between the Earth and the Sun. And one astronomical unit is 93 million miles. 93 million Anyone want to guess how many astronomical units there are in a light year? Hint, if you want to calculate it, one astronomical unit equals eight light minutes. So we would have about 63,000 astronomical units in a year. 93,063,000 times. The closest star is 4.4 light years away. But did you know there are galaxies that are millions of light years away from Earth? And within those galaxies, stars that are thousands of light years away from each other. So the fastest moving thing that we know of, light, would take millions of years to reach other galaxies, let alone to reach above the heavens. God has placed his glory far above even this expansive universe that we live in. Yet still God's glory and majesty are brilliantly reflected here on this earth. And while God's majesty is infinite and his power great, we see in verse 2 how God's chosen to display his power. Verse 2, we see, Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Not only does God's glorious creation shine forth his majesty, and his praise. But even from the mouths of babies, he chooses to draw out praise. From the lisping, innocent tongues of children, God chooses to display his power. In Matthew 21, 
Jesus quoted these same words from Psalm 8 when in the temple the children cried Hosanna, as we saw in our song today. Hosanna, and the Pharisees remained aloof and silent. Matthew 21, 15, and 16 gives us the account. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. The wise of that day refused to praise the name of Jesus. But out of the mouths of children came that praise. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, we see, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So who are these babies and infants? Well, I think we just saw how Christ even refers to literal children as being babies and infants that proclaim his praise. I think we could also say man in general. What weaker thing is there than a human baby when he is born? Yet through God's grace, we are given strength to overcome the enemy. David, the author of our psalm, who began his life as a ruddy shepherd boy, and God used him to defeat the mighty warrior, Goliath. And of course, even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who took on the full nature of man, including all of our defects and infirmities, became a baby and died at the hands of men, but who now stands at the right hand of God until all his enemies are in subjection to him. And why does he do this? To silence the enemy and the avenger. The enemy, Satan, in the form of a serpent, was the instigator to man's fall into sin. But it was God who from that moment chose to use the seed of frail man to crush the head of the enemy. As it says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. Some translations say crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. God will silence his enemies and he has chosen to do so out of the mouths of babes and infants such as frail man. And this has implications for us today as well. God continues to use us, you, me, for his purposes. We hear Paul and Second Corinthians echo God's use of this, um, of using the weak and the frail. And he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace is still sufficient for us today, and he still chooses and can use us to display his power and majesty. As we continue in verse 3 and 4, David again is looking up to the heavens. We read, When I look at your heavens, or when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man 
that you care for him. At this point, we can imagine David, King David, out in the fields, or maybe he was out on the rooftop of his castle, and he's looking at the heavens, and it leads him to the following questions. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? I find it interesting, David's utter amazement at the moon and the stars, and to realize that he didn't even know all that we knew about them. I want to read another little excerpt just to give us a picture of of who God is, of this majesty that the heavens declare. So here's an uh, an excerpt um, from an article online. So you know when you're in a rural area at night and the moon isn't visible and you can see a ton of stars? In those optimal circumstances, you're looking at around 2,500 stars at most. That's about one one hundred millionth of the total stars in our own galaxy. Speaking of which, let's take a look at our galaxy, the Milky Way. To help understand how insanely big it is, here are a few facts. The diameter of the Milky Way is 100,000 light years. A light year is the distance travel light travels in a year. Considering light can travel around the Earth seven times in a second... A light year is a mind-bogglingly large distance, as we talked about a minute ago. It would take our fastest spacecraft 18,000 years to travel one light year. And with the Milky Way, we're talking about 100,000 of them. That also means that if a star dies, it would take 100,000 years before we would even notice that the light was gone. You might think when you look closely at the picture of the Milky Way, one of the little dots might be our sun. In fact, if you expanded a photo of the Milky Way to be the size of this entire Earth, you'd still need a microscope to find our sun. If the Milky Way were the size of the Earth, the sun would be about one-fiftieth of a millimeter in diameter. Massive. And all in all, the Milky Way contains between 100 to 400 billion stars, and that's just one galaxy. Are we starting to ask ourselves the same question that David did? What is man that you are mindful of, and, and the son of man that you care for him? But he continues, and he says, When I look at your head, uh, sorry, verse 5, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. God chose to give dominion of the earth to man. Sorry. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let's go back here. Let's look. um, As we wonder and we look at this, we've asked ourselves these questions and we see yet. Yet you have made him lower, a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. As we wonder about God's mindfulness and care for men, he responds by crowning us with glory and honor.
He responds by giving us dominion over the, the works of his hands, putting everything under our feet. God's original purpose for man was that he ruled the earth, as we see in Genesis 1, uh, verse 26 and verse 28. Verse 26, we hear God say, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And again, in verse 28, Of Genesis 1, he says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. To have dominion over God's creation was an immense honor. Everything was provided for Adam, and he was given rule over the whole garden, Minus one thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam was definitely crowned with glory and honor. The author of Hebrews continues with this theme by quoting directly from Psalm 8. So if you would, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And I'm going to read for us verse 5 to 8. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. God chose to give the dominion of this earth to man. He could have given it to the angels, but he didn't. He chose us. So why don't we see the world in subjection to man now? What happened? Well, God gave Adam dominion over everything in the garden, except... One thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yet Adam chose not to be content with what he was given and ate of that tree, the fruit of that tree, and brought the first sin into this world. Adam had it all. God had provided everything for him, crowned him with glory and honor. Yet Adam disobeyed and chose to take what was set aside for God and only for God. Now, because of Adam's sin, the whole world is born into sin and can no longer rule in God's kingdom. So what now? Well, here we see in verse 9, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Here we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels. The incarnation of Jesus as a man, so that he could be crowned with glory and honor, and after suffering and death, by the grace of God, taste death for all. The new heaven and new earth promised in Revelation 21, 1 through 8, will once again be subjected to mankind 
and restored to us through the death and resurrection of the man Jesus Christ. So not only is Psalm 8 looking back at the creation of man and Adam being set as ruler over the earth, but it is also looking forward to the new heaven and new earth that will once again be put under subjection to man through Christ. While we don't yet see all things in subjection, we see Jesus, who tasted death for all, to restore to us the world to come, as mentioned in Hebrews 2.5. Having seen all this, having seen some of the majesty of God and how his majestic name is throughout all the earth, and how he has then chosen to look on frail man and crown him with glory and honor. We come to the very last verse of Psalm 8. And we see yet again, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Our psalm is bookended with the exact same phrase of our opening line. Only now, having admired God through creation, having pondered the frailty of man, God's choosing to still use him, seeing the great salvation and hope that we have through the greatest man, Jesus, does God's majestic name not ring even that much more brightly, clearly, and majestically? The majestic King Jesus is coming back to claim his people and to establish his kingdom. And when he does, will you be there bowing your knee? Will your tongue confess that he is Lord? Or do you still believe that you are as mighty and able to save as God? Philippians 2 tells us that he will come and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And as we ponder this passage and what it can mean for us today, we can reflect on David's attempt to contrast just how majestic God's name is and just how frail and insignificant we are. David shows us that God uses man in his frailty, does he not? As we saw with David, what was he before God used him as king over Israel? He was just a boy, a shepherd, with no strength of his own, yet God made him the king over a mighty nation, and David did many great deeds for the Lord. As weak and frail as I am, as weak and frail as you may be, God still has a purpose for your life and can use you to glorify and magnify his name. Our psalm began today with recognizing God as our sovereign We've talked about his vast creation and power over enemies, and yet somehow I continue to worry, be prideful, and pout when things don't go my way. If we believe what David says is true, then let us live our lives as a testimony to the majesty of God's name. I'd like to close simply with reading this passage again as we contemplate God's majesty, we recognize how David organized this psalm 
starting and ending with that same phrase, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, Yahweh, our personal and relational Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth, mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name. In all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. Lord, your name is majestic, and we can find no other name in all of this earth that is as majestic as yours. Lord, we lift up our voices today and ask that you would reveal yourself to us. Let us know and understand your majesty, so that we may better praise you. God, we want to put our faith in your sovereignty. We want to rest in trust and in hope that you are our master and our Lord. Lord, if you are as great as was proclaimed in this psalm, then we have nothing to fear, nothing to be worried about. Lord, we give our lives to you and we ask that you would fulfill every promise of your word in our lives that we may glorify and better praise your majestic name. In Jesus' name, amen.